in the Buddhist teachings, one of the most well-known metaphors to describe it, the fullness of the path, is as a bird with wings, that the Buddha taught about two wings of awakening. And one wing is awakening our understanding. And that's the wing of mindfulness, that we awaken our capacity to really see what is happening, what's right here. And then the other wing is the wing of compassion, that what we see, we embrace. We're not just seeing what's there with cold, steely, detached eyes. We're, we're holding with love what we experience. And the wings are entirely interdependent. Uh, we cannot love someone unless we really see who they are. And unless we have a heart that's soft and open, we won't see clearly. We'll be keeping distances. Over the last many weeks, we've been exploring the foundations of mindfulness and then moving to the other wing, which is the wing of love and compassion. And I'd like to continue that tonight. I'd like to continue the exploration of the, what the Pali word is metta, or loving kindness. We started last week a bit. And I'd like to um, begin by reading you from the Metta Sutta. These are the words of the Buddha's teachings on loving-kindness. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies and downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. We should cherish all living beings. So tonight, exploring more how we come to cherish all living beings and how this capacity we have to see goodness, to see past our conditioned ways of of looking and see the goodness that's here wakes up that tenderness in our heart. Now, all of spiritual practice is about relationship. We're always talking about relationship. We're either exploring how we're relating to our body and our inner life, or how we're relating to each other, or how we're relating to life circumstances. And we can either have the reflex to meet ourselves and our world with a kind of defensiveness, like we're ready for what's going to go wrong and we're steeled against bad things. You know that feeling of kind of moving through the day just waiting for what's around the corner. Or we can give our life the gift of attention, that just as experience arises, we have that willingness to bring a wholehearted presence to whatever, however it is. But as most of you know, that takes training because we are, each of us, strongly conditioned to shut down. And and it's a wonderful investigation to start noticing in a real immediate way. How do we shut down? 
I mean, how do we distance ourselves from the people that we eat dinner with or breakfast with to the people at work? How do we leave our own body, which we do all the time? Some of you might have read Aldous Huxley's book, The Doors of Perception. I'm curious how many here have. How many are you looking at? Okay, a scattering. Not his most well-known book, but a wonderful, tiny little book, a gem. Really came out of his explorations with psychedelic drugs, which again is not as well-known about Aldous Huxley. He's so well-known for um, his brilliant philosophical and his fiction but he, um, he really explored consciousness a lot. And one of his ways of describing our experience of the universe is that we're basically, our identity is mind at large. Emerson called it the soul of the whole. We're everything. And yet in order to survive biologically, our brains and our nervous system are like a reducing valve. We take in as little information as we can, just so we can survive. And there's this fear of opening out. We'll lose track. We'll lose our orientation. We'll forget about taking care of ourselves. So this nervous system and brain of ours is actually reducing our intake to what he describes as a measly trickle of the kind of consciousness which helps us to make it through the day. A measly trickle. Many great thinkers have said the same. William James and Western and Eastern have described how we move through the world as kind of shutting out things so that we can just stay right closely hooked in with what I want, I need, I fear. This is the way Albert Einstein put it. He said, a human being is a part of the whole called by us the universe, a part limited in time and space. He expresses himself, his thoughts and feelings, as something, he experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings, as something separate from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of understanding and compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. So this is Albert Einstein basically saying that we are conditioned to experience ourselves as separate that it's our, it's our deepest habit to make separations and create an other and an enemy, and that really our path is about including. And the Buddha talked about it in the same way. He called it dukkha, our suffering, and that our suffering is that we move through the day contracting away from what seems unpleasant, grasping onto what seems pleasant, And in that busyness, and we're very busy, constantly trying to get more comfortable, we don't really see who's here. We don't pause enough to sense our own wholeness. In a moment that we're in our agenda to get more done, we're not feeling 
that mind at large, that soul of the whole, that depth of who we are. We're very small. Our identity is as a a doing, tense, striving self. And when we're moving through the day caught in this dukkha that the Buddha described of trying to have things our way, we can't see who else is here. We cannot recognize the sparkle and consciousness and tenderness of another being. So we get caught. This dukkha really is a trap that stops us from being intimate with our world. I read what's called a grim reality fairy tale. (laughs) Here it goes. This is the mom reading it to her daughter. And then the prince kissed her and they fell in love, dated for a while, moved in together, broke up, got back together, got married, had a baby, got separated, got back together, broke up again, divorced, spent time alone rediscovering themselves, met someone new, fell in love, and repeated the pattern happily ever after. (laughs) But it's really repeated the pattern habitually ever after, (laughs) which is even better, isn't it? So the answer is not because we're so kind of conditioned to mistrust ourselves and mistrust each other and stay in this dance of really not really getting close. The answer is not to pull away and avoid the messiness of relating. One of the unfortunate misunderstandings of spiritual life is that real Enlightenment happens when we're off in solitude in a cave, experiencing this dazzling rainbow color of lights. It's, it's a by-ourself experience. But that's not so. We certainly train ourselves in different environments that are conducive to getting quiet. But probably the most challenging training is when we're out in the street, so to speak. When we're with each other and all our conditioning is popping up all over and we still have that courage to get into our bodies and to look at who's here and to stay tender. That's the challenge. Carol Leifer writes, whenever I travel I like to keep the seat next to me empty. I found a great way to do it. When someone walks down the aisle and says to you, is someone sitting there, just say, no one except the Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Who would take his seat, you know? (laughs) So we have the circumstance that we want to connect, we want to be intimate, We're completely wired and rigged to be afraid of each other, to not trust ourselves, to think things are going wrong. So a lot of metta, of cultivating loving-kindness, is really training our attention and bypassing that reducing valve, bypassing our habitual ways. Now, the traditional Buddhist teachings on widening the circle You know, we go around, we have certain people that are important and others that aren't so. And so the traditional practice is based on an understanding, and you can believe it or not, it doesn't matter, uh, that we've been reborn countless times. 
and that everybody we meet at some point has been our father or mother or sister or aunt, that we're related to everybody. So that as we move through the world and we run into somebody that seems really other, that's not my type, we go, okay, you were once my mother, (laughs) or something like that. And just that reflection, even if we don't believe it, deepens our attention. So we begin to sense that humanity that really is our togetherness. The truth is, when we really pay attention to each other, love wakes up. The only reason that we don't feel in love all the time is that we're not paying attention. So we pay attention to each other and we also practice metta by paying attention inwardly because we need to be intimate with the moods, the fears, the shame, the anger in our inner life. There's no way that we can embrace another person if when our own fear comes up, we get down on ourselves, Or when we get angry, we start thinking we're a crummy person. So unless we have made friends with the different inner weather systems, we can't embrace another person. I found it really interesting about a year ago when I found out that the word good, the Indo-European word, its root, is the same as gather or together, that it um, implies fitting into the whole or togetherness. So we might feel good from a temporary passing pleasure, but our deepest feeling of goodness is when we're really trusting togetherness, when we're really um, awake to our connectedness. And Chogyam Trungpa, some of you might have read his, his writings. He, one of the best books that I read of his is called Shambhala, the, path of the sacred path of the warrior, I think it is. And he describes that our very nature is this basic goodness. And I think that's a really powerful way to, to frame it. Because it's not saying there's goodness and then there's badness. It's just saying, if you just go to the depth of who we are, we're conscious and we're loving. And it doesn't deny that we have the conditioning that can bring us to kill each other, to cause great suffering. But at base, we are conscious, loving beings. And then what he teaches, and this is really no different than the bodhisattva path that we've talked about here much, is that if we really pay attention and face reality straightforward and really look, that's what we will see. We will become more and more familiar with this basic goodness. I'd like to read you a poem written by a woman named Lynn Parks. Take the time to pray. It is the sweet oil that eases the hinge into the garden so the doorway can swing open easily. You can always go there. Consider yourself blessed. These stones that break your bones will build the altar of your love. Your home is the garden. 
carry its odor hidden in you into the city. Suddenly, your enemies will buy seed packets and fall to their knees to plant flowers in the dirt by the road. They'll call you friend and honor your passing among them. When asked, who was that? They'll say, oh, that one has been beloved by us since before time began. This from people who would have trampled over you to maintain their advantage. Give everything away except your garden, your worry, your fear, your small-mindedness. Your garden can never be taken from you. Our garden is our goodness, and it's not something we have to make happen. It's already there. This is the garden of our heart. This is what has always been here. And really, in spiritual life, we're learning to recognize it. That's really what it's about. We are practicing, we're paying attention, so we can see what's already here, this goodness. And then we learn to look around and see that it's everywhere, that each person we look at that's looking back at us, those eyes that are looking at us through those eyes are that same divine, that same garden, that same essence. We recognize the blood of our own family in everything that lives. Now last week we explored a bit how to begin to look inside and see that garden. Because really, our freedom to love on this earth comes from trusting we're good. If we trust that that's really who we are, there's an amazing spontaneity that's possible. There's a freedom to play, to give, to receive. Because we don't have that basic worry that something's wrong. So we train to see this garden, see this goodness. And it's often difficult, as some of you that were here last night, last week found that when we're, we have that invitation to look inside and say, okay, reflect on what you appreciate about yourself. What people reported was that it's sometimes hard to see anything that's good. It's like if it's good, it seems like, well, I'm supposed to be that way, or really I'm not being altruistic, I'm just being dutiful, or whatever it is. So we have a lot of blocks to seeing our own goodness. In the traditional metta practice, we are encouraged to start with wherever it's easiest to feel care. So if we can't look inside and see goodness and feel care, we're encouraged to choose someone that's very easy for us. And I'd like to start with a reflection now that lets us explore that. So, if you will, just to sit up, put down things you're holding, just as you were earlier, you might close your eyes. And for this reflection on loving kindness, choose a person in your life who has been kind to you. Choose a person, if you can, whose kindness is clear 
and unambiguous. It could be a parent or a teacher, uncle, aunt, camp counselor. Don't use a child, your own or anyone else's, for now. And see if you can imagine this person in front of you and and recall explicit occasions where he or she was kind to you. It can be any kind of kindness. The kindness of just letting you know they were there for you or giving a gift or helping you out in some way. But for now, just think of an occasion And just notice how you react to that memory, whether you feel open and relaxed, if you feel tense, if you space out. If you observe that your reaction is to not let the kindness in, then notice how you try to keep it out. Some of us do that, and it's not unusual. Do you suspect this person had their own selfish motives? Do you just write it off as though they were just being appropriate? Do you just frame it like, yeah, but that was no big deal? Just notice how you relate when somebody's kind to you. We continue to reflect, and this is something you can keep exploring on your own, with the understanding that kindness is always a gift. That kindness means a person's giving freely, that they chose to give. What happens when you acknowledge kindness as a gift? Do you feel grateful? Do you feel undeserving? So we continue to notice perhaps more ways that this person has been kind, sensing where we might be resisting and making the intention to let it in. Okay, so this is kindness. See if you can open fully to the experience of receiving kindness. You might recall other instances when this person was kind to you. See if you can open and experience what he or she gave to you freely. Noticing how when you really allow yourself to receive a kindness, there's a natural gratitude and appreciation that arises up. Feeling your appreciation is a 
flavor of loving kindness. It's that radiant warmth and openness that just appreciates without any obligation. So feel your appreciation for this person. Feel their goodness and your goodness. Because when we feel appreciation, we can feel our own goodness. A friend called me last week, and he was, he's a very mature, wise person, and he's been practicing for many years. And he was telling me how um, upset and angry he was because he had been a lot, contributed a lot to the writing of a book and then didn't get acknowledged and how he was upset with himself for feeling that, but he felt it anyway. And we sometimes think of it as neurotic, that we need others to appreciate or acknowledge us, but it's, it's not a small thing. Every one of us needs to feel like we matter. Every one of us needs to feel acknowledged. Every one of us needs to feel that others' kindness is really meant for us. In Hindu cosmology, there's a description of the jeweled net of Indra, which I've mentioned here many times because it's, I think, one of the most poetic and beautiful descriptions of our connectedness, whereby this, this whole world, this whole life is this big wet, living web of being, and at each crisscross of the net, there's a jewel, and every jewel reflects and refracts every other jewel. And so we come into being, and everything we know about ourselves is, is part of this interdependent give-take flow with each other. We need to have our beauty mirrored. We need to have others be kind. I read recently, Mark Train wrote, I can live for two months on a good compliment. You know? So we do loving-kindness practice, and often we find our way in by remembering somebody that's been kind to us, by going to a person that's, that's very easy to feel connected with. Kabir writes, we sense that there is some sort of spirit that loves birds and animals and the ants, perhaps the same one who gave a radiance to you in your mother's womb. Is it logical you would be walking around entirely orphaned now? The truth is, you turned away yourself. That's why, on those days, everything has some weird sense of failure in it. Kabir says, why not remember who you are? Today is a good day to do it. 
So the truth, the goodness, is that we belong to the whole. And sometimes when we reflect on someone that's been kind to us, it it helps us to remember. Now, as you know, while we can begin with other people, we have to be able to look inside eventually and just see what's here directly. Again, there's pathways in. There are times when I teach the loving-kindness practice and I say, okay, so reflect and sense. What is? What do you appreciate about yourself? People report that they couldn't see it themselves, but as soon as they look through, let's say, their grandmother's eyes, they remembered that mischievous, bright person that was lovable, or look through their dog's eyes, or <laughs> you know what I mean? Looking through someone else's eyes really made a difference. So again, part of the ways that we kind of gently come towards a sense of our own goodness is by looking through others' eyes. Sometimes it's very dramatic, the need to do that. There's a story of a Catholic priest that told about trying to comfort a woman who was dying of AIDS, and she was saying, I'm lost, I'm lost. I've ruined my life and every life around me. Now I'm going painfully to hell. There's no hope for me. The priest saw a framed picture of a pretty girl on the dresser, and he said, who's this? And the woman brightened up, and she said, that's my daughter, the, the one beautiful thing in my life. And then he asked, would you help her if she was in trouble or made a mistake? Would, would you forgive her if she made a mistake? The woman said, of course. I love her. Of course. Why would you ask such a question? Because I want you to know, said the priest, that God has a picture of you on his dresser. We radically shift how we experience ourselves if we can look through the eyes of love. And that's a training to look through the eyes of the beloved. You can take a moment right now just to experiment, just to close your eyes and bring to mind again someone that loves you. It could be the same person as the one that was kind or it could be just anyone that you trust really loves you. And sense what lets you know that, what it is about your time together and the way they treat you and speak to you, what lets you know. And take a moment and see if you can look through their eyes. Be them for right now. Think of what their life is like and what they look like and their bodies like and their faces like and their life circumstances. And just look through their eyes at you. See what they see. See what it is about you that allows them to love you, that brings up their love for you. This is looking through the eyes of the Beloved.
seeing the love that's inside you, how you're a loving being, how dear you are, how precious you are. This is our training that we can learn to look very gently at our own being through the eyes of the heart. In a poem called Love After Love, Derek Walcott writes, the time will come when with elation you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life whom you have ignored for another who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit, feast on your life. So this is part of the bodhisattva path, this resolve to bypass our normal conditioning of judging ourselves, of being cynical towards ourselves, of ignoring ourselves, and instead training ourselves to see the beauty that's here. Because as we do this, and it really takes resolve, We feel a little embarrassed. We feel narcissistic and self-absorbed. But we're not talking about um, feeling proud of a self. We're talking about learning to see this basic goodness, which is Buddha nature, which is everywhere, the garden. And as we become friendly towards ourselves and really get it, that this beauty is here, It's not some abstract idea. We look out and we see the beauty in others. It expands outward. Otherwise, we're one step removed. We might appreciate others, but there's not a living, resonating appreciation because part of us is still mistrusting ourselves. So it it spreads outward we begin to practice by really resolving to look more closely at the people that we're right around. And you can pick someone. Pick someone in your life right now that you care about, and we'll do a brief reflection on widening the circle now. Someone in your life that you care about that perhaps maybe you're feeling a little disconnected from. And in the same way that you looked through the eyes of the beloved at yourself, can you bring this person to mind and sense what you appreciate about them? You might sense how they love or their humor. You might start very basic and sense that this being does not want to suffer. 
he or she wants to be happy. You might explore what happens when you imagine this person happy. Just see them really happy, not in a superficial way, but the kind of happiness that as if they're being embraced by someone that loves them and they're really content. This is a sweet practice. to see someone happy, to feel how your heart becomes softer. Sometimes when it's difficult, we can imagine this person as very young. Sometimes we can imagine the person when they're sleeping and just sense their innocence when their personality is not activated. And that's okay. Sometimes we can see the goodness if we imagine that this being has already passed away. You can come back, open your eyes. Some of you might know that when Thich Nhat Hanh teaches, he often teaches a way of hugging that helps us to remember this preciousness. And it's really the remembering of impermanence He has two people bow to each other and they say namaste and that means I see the divine in you. But then they go further. They hug each other and with their breath they reflect, I'm going to die and you're going to die and we have just these precious moments together. And when you're with somebody and you're remembering that, that really I'm going to die and you're going to die, your eyes see through the conditioning, the shallow personality stuff, and you see right into that, what Trungpa is describing as that basic goodness. You see into the garden. Last week, a friend of mine called me uh, on the night that his mother had just died. And um, this is a, a man that had, like many of us, a very t- typical kind of son-mother relationship where he loved her dearly and felt suffocated and felt annoyed by her and felt like she was being too demanding and graspy and kind of gave him the willies when she'd hug him too much. But he loved her, you know. And she had been dying of cancer for about three years. And so he, had, he lived on the West Coast, or does live on the West Coast. Six different times he got the call saying, this is it, you know, flew over to the East Coast. Every doctor said, there's no way, this is it. And each time his mom pulled through. Interestingly, she, like most of us, didn't want to die, but she was really afraid. And she was a very religious woman, very um, much of a giver. She was serviceful all through her life. And she was afraid that she wasn't good enough to get into heaven. This is, so she was afraid to die, you know. So he'd go and she'd pull through and he'd go back home again. And, but he got a call this time and they said, we really think it's the last time. And he said, who knows, but he flew east. And um, 
spent five days with her, and um, it wa- wasn't until the Saturday night before she died that he looked at her and he went, oh, this really is it. You know, she was um, completely emaciated and couldn't speak, and um, her breathing was difficult and so on. And so as, as happens to so many people, everything dropped to another level of presence and he um, saw her in a way that was this kind of seeing past that I've been talking about. You know, he saw the, the woman who had been a widow for 15 years and had probably not really been held for 15 years. But he also saw a being that just, in essence, wanted to love and be loved. That was it. And that was just profoundly opening to him, that it just everything else fell away, and he, it was just seeing kind of a soulfulness. So he pulled down the railings of her bed, and this time when he hugged her and kissed her, he didn't have any aversion or any of the willies. It was like just, she was this just this preciousness, and he just kissed her face and cheeks and hugged her and told her, I love you, I love you. And um, it was a beautiful time together. And as you can imagine, the next morning, when he got the call that she had passed away, he wasn't surprised because she had kind of had that healing into dying that lets us let go. That kind of completeness or goodness that, that she belonged I was really touched when he told me the story, and, and at, at the end he said, um, you know, I just want to be a priest and go around the world letting everybody know that they're lovable and hugging them. <laughs> and, you know, who knows what he'll do, but he was just, he's, all he kept repeating to me on the phone was, you know, everybody just wants to be loved. And it's so true. It's like... Um, we, our deep goodness is that we are love and we are awareness. And the way we play it out on this earth is we forget and we feel this pain of separation and we're trying to find our way back into trusting again that we're lovable and that we're loving. So in Buddhist meditation, as much as we talk about this training of mindfulness, we talk about the training of the heart to see past our conditioning and to trust our deepest nature, to trust this garden that's always here and that, that no one can ever take away. To close with a short poem because really the quality of heart that the Buddha was teaching is a quality of complete inclusion, of unconditional loving. That when we see somebody that's dying, we sense their preciousness, but we sense the preciousness of all beings everywhere. So, just to listen for a moment, the question is, and whom or what is one to love? Is one to choose a certain leaf upon the tree of life and pour upon it all one's love? What of the branch that bears the leaf? 
What of the stem that holds the branch? What of the bark that shields the stem? What of the roots that feed the bark, the stem, the branches, and the leaves? What of the soil underneath the roots? And what of the sun and sea and air that fertilizes the soil? If one small leaf upon a tree be worthy of your love, know this as belonging to the tree in its entirety. The love that confines itself to a fraction of the whole foredooms itself to grief. So we will close today with doing the traditional metta practice, which all these pieces then flow into. Again, if you've been sitting very still, stretch your legs for a moment and then please come sitting again. So we're going to begin with this metta practice by coming into our bodies again and just really feeling your heart, however it is right now, letting the in-breath, letting the breath touch your heart. So you can feel the aliveness that's here, letting the out-breath be a letting go, sensing the space and openness around you. And you might feel a smile at the corners of the eyes. And let this half smile of the Buddha be at the mouth also. It's a very slight smile, but a real one. You can let the shape and sense of a smile move down through your throat and into your heart. and then spread outward so that you can feel as if the very air around you is in that shape of a smile. That is the energy or gentleness that you can hold yourself with. Beginning by bringing to mind someone that's very easy for you to love. Somebody that your care comes very naturally with and sensing what's lovable about them, their goodness. And feeling what your love is like just as a very actual sensation in the heart area your appreciation and care that you feel when you bring this being to mind. Offering them your prayer, and I'll just suggest some of the more traditional phrases, but you can offer whatever you'd like. 
May you be filled with loving-kindness, held in loving-kindness. May you be happy. May you know great and natural peace. May your heart awaken and be free. And letting those feelings of care and love be here and just turn the attention inward and just allow yourself to reflect and sense your own goodness, the garden that's within, that you are a being who longs to love and be loved, that you're an awakening being, honest, Awake, offering your prayer to your own self now. May I be filled with loving kindness, held in loving kindness. May I be happy. May I know great and natural peace. May I awaken and be free. We widen the circle out and invite you to bring to mind someone that is what we'll call a neutral person that you see regularly but don't have a strong involvement with or reaction to that you probably don't pay much attention to. bringing this person to mind and sensing their goodness that this person too doesn't want to suffer that this being wants to be happy offering your prayer sensing how your heart feels as you offer it may you to be filled with loving-kindness, held in loving-kindness. May you be happy. May you know great and natural peace May you awaken and be free. OK, 
continuing to widen the circles, we bring to mind someone that's difficult. It's an opportunity to really open the heart some. Someone that you have a struggle with. Bringing this person to mind, and again, seeing into this being to where the garden lives, that this being too does not want to suffer that this person wants to be happy, wants to be loved, wants to love. Seeing perhaps the fear or confusion that might be driving him or her. And then offering your prayer. May you too be filled with loving kindness held in loving-kindness. May you be happy. May you touch great and natural peace. May you awaken and be free. Now finally we open our heart-minds to include all beings everywhere. Take some moments to feel the space behind you, back, 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 to the sides, in front of you, above and below. Sense the space of this room and all the beings that are here. Just feeling our energy going outward, encompassing life, like spokes of an infinite, boundless wheel in all directions. So spacious that we can hold the earth, our mother, in our laps and sense the life that dwells here and everywhere. This precious life is green, the life that runs and flies and swims, those that are old, those that are just born, those that are living in the horror of war, those that are starving or cold, diseased, afraid. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world. May all beings be filled with loving kindness, held in loving kindness. May all beings be happy, May all beings touch a great and natural peace. May all beings awaken and be free. We close together as we open with the sound current of OM, the sound current of connectedness, 
just feeling the quivering of the heart, the vibration of the heart, and letting it mingle with the sounds around you and everywhere. We'll chant three times. Please inhale deeply. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.